0: Welcome back to Large Almond Latte. So a few weeks ago, we talked about isopressures and not giving in. And this week, I realized that this must be what homeschooling feels like. You're alone, you're bored, you're wearing your trackies, which fans Vogue have recently confirmed is a trend of 2020, so you're welcome. But you're also forced to do language, read lots and do art. But like, I just really hope we don't turn out like homeschooled kids because they are so weird. Anyway, this week... I am not proud to say, but I gave into ISO Pressures and I was inspired by a fan to do some doodling. So I trotted down to the $2 shop, big adventure for the day, and I got myself a sketch pad and some charcoal pencils. I felt like such an artist I needed to be wearing a beret. Anyway, I haven't picked up a pencil unless it's to draw meaningless things in a notebook while I'm bored in a meeting since like Brittany and JT were a thing, at which time like I was definitely no Monet, but I thought I was okay and I actually even thought maybe I would have a career in graphic design, which I obviously did not. And I can confirm now that drawing is not like riding a bike. You can forget how to do it. And I did. Much like my chocolate cake efforts from last week, my drawings look like they have been done by a child. So I think I'm just going to keep them in my child's room and pretend they were her work. Today on the podcast, off the back of my little doodling adventure, I explore other things that we used to be really good at and now we are just not. Like always, I've put the question to you, the fans, in our Facebook group, Large and Latte Podcast, for your responses as well. Then I review Netflix. Yes, all of Netflix because I've clopped it. I'm going to give you a review on the things that I've been watching, but a really in-depth review on the new softcore porn thriller, Welcome Home. And of course, I'll leave you with a life changer. Following on from the drawing, in general, I feel my hand artistry skills have failed to reach their potential. Like, I used to have super nice handwriting. Not to brag or anything, but I was one of the first to get my pen license. I could really adopt any style. Cursive, fat, round, slanted left, slanted right, flicks, no flicks. I used to, like daydream about leaving people ransom letters. And if I ever got caught by the police, I was so confident I'd be fine because I would just do the writing test in a different style of writing. Like, give me a steadler, which anyone knows is the pinnacle of the pen hierarchy and my handwriting could easily be adapted into a font. It was so good. But then technology happened and instead of practicing the calming flow of the pen, my hands adapted to the finger topping of the keyboard and my handwriting skills froze in time as a 16 year old girl. Over time, my ability to adapt different handwriting styles has become my curse. I have no style of handwriting now, and if I don't concentrate while I'm writing in one paragraph, I can shift to cursive font with a right slant to non-cursive with no flicks and a left slant. It's a disaster. Best case scenario, I try really hard and like hold the pen really tight and write really slow, and it still looks like a note I've written to the girl sitting next to me in science class class. Like in my proletariat job, I think it's really nice to leave a handwritten note or letter to a client. It's much more personable. But I have been banned from doing that by the Gen Xs who obviously like weren't affected by technology. So their handwriting is fully developed. And they're like, no, we we can't have clients thinking that a 16-year-old girl writes these letters. It's so embarrassing. But it turns out I'm actually not alone here. Our fan Mia also used to have stunning script handwriting and now she says she has chicken scratch. What even is chicken scratch? Like chickens have webbed feet. How do they write? I like, is this something that's really obvious and staring me in the face? hmm. I'm going to Google that later. Anyway, it's an absolute disaster. And As you know, I've been watching a lot of Grey's Anatomy and it is so lucky that I am not yet inspired to be a surgeon because I feel like with these declining hand artistry skills, my peak surgery days would have already been behind me. Like I would have been doing my best open heart surgery at 12 years old and now I probably couldn't even do a simple running whip stitch. Yeah, I've been picking up the lingo real good. Technology has also completely wiped my ability to spell and respect grammar. Like I'm pretty sure I went to school. I talk about it a lot because it was my absolute peak. But I may as well not have gone to English class because spell check and grammarly oh my god grammarly is a godsend, write everything for me. You should see my notes from this podcast. They are completely underlined in red and green. Like, okay, I shorten words and use acronyms all the time, not because I think it's cool and I'm hip. I actually don't know how to spell the real words. Deaf. That is something I write all the time because I actually don't know how to spell definitely. I'm going to try and spell it now. And I, Okay, let's just go. D-E-F-I-N-E-T-E-L-Y. I don't even know if that's right. You're going to have to tell me. Yesterday, I wrote a text message, and I meant to say no, as in the negative, and I wrote K-N-O-W. How does your brain – like, what is going on in my head that thinks that's normal, and it just switches to that? I don't know. Grammar is even worse. Oh, my God. Yeah. And even when I put, oh, my God, in my notes, I write, OMG. If you're putting something in quotation marks, you put the symbol on the inside or the outside, I don't know, and ownerships, like if something is Nicole's, it's Nicole apostrophe S. But if it's Tuesday's something, then there's no apostrophe. I don't know. It's so confusing. Honestly, maybe I need to spend my time in isolation taking grade four English again, because that is where my spelling is at. So, my things, if I was still good at them, would have just allowed me to be a very average, put together person. But you fans, you were on your way to being elite people, elite sportsmen, elite performers. Like, Polina was basically Kieran Perkins, a dominant long distance swimmer. And then she became allergic to chlorine. Obviously, she has done something absolutely brutal in a past life because that is some shit karma. Jess was the Liz Cambage of the global high school basketball circuit because she moved around so much, but also because she moved around so much, she couldn't really stay somewhere long enough to hone her skills. So I asked her if she blamed her parents for the fact that she is not currently playing in the extremely lucrative Chinese Women's Basketball League. Honestly, look it up. They get paid so well. Yeah, I asked her because I was really looking for a juicy story but actually she was really kind and was like it was more that we just never stayed somewhere long enough for me to work with anyone and really develop and by the time we were in Melbourne permanently it was just high school politics so that road came to an end and I just feel like that's a really first world super sad story. Mm. this one, not so much. This is more of self-sabotaging, I would say. So Anthony reckons he was a pretty good junior tennis player, but then, quote, I had my first hand ice. Well, I'd say you probably didn't want it bad enough. If I had been a decent tennis player, I would have gladly abstained from the beverages because tennis is like the only women's sport that pays really well aside from that Chinese basketball league. So I really feel like the ability to self-sabotage a tennis career in the first place is really just like your male privilege showing through. Is that a stretch? I don't know, but I'm going to run with it. It seems also that our little online friendship group could have been quite the talented group of struggling artists. Anthony, again, claimed to be quite the chalice, obviously, at his elite boy school. But then, quote, again, I had my first Han Ice. Wow, alcohol is really not the talent's friend. Emma and Britney were both also really good singers. But I guess vocal cords are like um, rubber bands. If you warm them up, they're nice and stretchy. But if you leave them cold, they're really stiff and hard and don't move. Emma realized she lost her talent watching a video of herself from last year and I am cringing because I thought I could relate to that. I thought that I was a member of the I used to be able to sing party. Like I was obsessed with music theater. I still am. Basically, I was Rachel Berry from Glee. I had a microphone and I would record myself singing into my CD player and then I would play it back like I think everyone did that, but I would play it back and I'd be like, yeah, I am really good. And Actually, come to think of it, it's exactly what I do with this podcast, which reminds me, I probably need to check myself. Like Rachel, I also bullied my singing teacher into giving me solos in performances. Like she was a real pushover and I had her under my thumb once she even apologized to me for not giving me a bigger part. And I was like a little bit of a dancer, another activity I'm well over the hill on. So in all music theater productions, I would always get the dancer parts, which have a little bit of singing involved because I guess it's better to have a dancer who can kind of sing than someone who cannot dance at all when the role is for dancing, if you know what I mean. So I played like the prostitutes in Beauty and the Beast and I was a lion in The Wiz. But I never actually got a singing role or anything based on my pipes alone that I didn't have to bully someone to give me. And I realize now it's because I was in denial the whole time and I actually have never been a good singer. And it's a really tragic realization that – It's not even one that I came to on my own, to be honest. I was told very bluntly, quite a few years ago, I thought I was home alone. Well, I was home alone, and I was belting out some On My Own, my favorite musical theater song ever, and my boyfriend came home, and he was like, I could hear you down the hall. Your shit, please stop. It was actually debilitating, and it's been really hard for me to deal with to be honest but if at any stage i'm in the denial stage of grief and i start to like you know bust out the pipes again you know like maybe sing my child a lullaby even he's very quick to be like please don't do that i don't want her to cry and i've got to move really quickly onto that acceptance phase again which is again like it's the trauma over and over and over again it's really hard to deal with but one thing i am really grateful for is that as much as i love music theater and i love being on the stage, I love money more. So if I didn't love money more, I would have been pursuing this penniless career and I would have absolutely been penniless based on my lacking talent. And I would have found out as a 30-year-old struggling artist that I actually can't sing. But because I love money, I got a real proletariat job. So all's well that ends well, I suppose. So whether it's through technology or time or self-sabotage or maybe you just weren't that good to begin with, there are many things we are well past peak on and it's super depressing. So I feel like I might need to counter this segment with one on things we have got better at over time, of which I can't think of a single thing at the moment, but we'll work on that together, fans. I felt like I was cheating you this week reviewing a softcore porn thriller, so before I get into that, because I literally binge every new TV show as soon as it drops, I thought I'd give you a rundown on what to watch next on Netflix and whether the teenage characters are actually legal in real life. Let's start with Outer Banks. It's kind of like the OC on a treasure hunt in North Carolina. The opening scene is even the poor kids in a half-built rich person's house. But it's actually a pretty unique storyline for a teenage drama. It's very bingeable, and I can confirm the hot main character, John B., is 27. Legal. Too hot to handle. This will kill... All of your brain cells. A bunch of very hot people from USA, UK, and Australia are put on an island and told they can't bang. You will want to apologise on behalf of Australia for Harry by the end of it, but it's well worth it if you don't want to think. Never have I ever. This is a Mindy Calling creation, and she is a It follows the high school experience of, I assume, every non-white misfit. Very relatable. Sure, it's set in high school, but it's funny and it's also sad and it left me wanting more Indian friends or just one. Indian friend, and yes, I can confirm the main hot boy, the 16-year-old, is actually 29. Legal, yes. Okay, on to the main event. Aaron Paul, the hot Darrow from Breaking Bad, and Rada, the hot girl from the Blurred Lines film clip, star in the new Netflix psychological thriller, Welcome Home. Full disclosure, there are a lot of nudie shots. Why else would Emrata have a lead role, to be honest? But there's actually no full frontal nudity. Despite that, it's still enough to make me very uncomfortable and feel mildly prudish about reviewing this at all. We open on Emrata on Travago booking a holiday to Tuscany. There's creepy music playing over the top, so it's going to be a thriller. Aaron and Em arrive at their Tuscan villa, and I assume neither of them have been outside America because they are overly impressed, or maybe it's just their bad acting. Emrata has a shower, the first of many I assume and there is a lot of side boob like they're they're up they're really up like they're defying gravity then they have a wine because it's Tuscany and now M. Rider's naked in the pool and they're hooking up it just feels very porny and I'm really uncomfortable but hang on Aaron doesn't want to hook up with her. Something is very wrong here. So then they go to bed and Aaron wakes up in the middle of the night. He finds a Kama Sutra book and then like (laughs) wanks to it. (laughs) What? I'm so uncomfortable at this point. It really feels like a porno, like low production quality and now it starts to get thrillery. The camera zooms out on him, wanking, and we realize that he's being watched on security cameras. There are cameras in every room of the house. <gasps> oh, my God. So the next morning, Emrida goes for a run and trips because she keeps thinking about herself having sex. I I guess if you're that hot, you can fantasize about yourself, weird. Then a young hot guy comes to her rescue because she's had her ankle and he's like, I can fix this for you if you want. I'm not even going to try an Italian accent. But honestly, is this a porno? Then she gets in the stranger's car and they make small talk and he says he hasn't been to the US and she's like, why not? That is the most obnoxious American thing you could possibly say. So just when I think there'd been way too much dialogue and not enough M I'm taking a shower. Okay, there we go. But Aaron doesn't want to join her, but then she gets out and then he bangs her, but he can't finish. What is going on with this guy? Okay, now we found out that M. Ryder cheated on him and he keeps thinking about them. So that's why he can't finish. And obviously, she's been thinking about it as well. And that's why she tripped on their run. So they're in Tuscany to work on their relationship. Yeah, if I was Aaron, I guess like you would do anything to keep her and make that work. So then we see the security cameras again and guess who is watching them? Yes, it's that sexy Italian stranger whose name is Federico. He's humming while he's watching them, so you know he's so creepy. Emrad has arranged for this sexy Italian Federico to pick them up and take them into town because Federico says there's no taxis, which I don't know, like I'd probably believe if I'd never been somewhere and I was in Tuscany, so it seems legit. Anyway, her and Aaron fight when they get there because he's like, you ruined our relationship when you let someone else's dick inside you. Best line of the movie. Anyway, she goes to leave, like she stomps off, but then she has no money. And then guess who shows up out of nowhere? Federico. And she just, like, is not even slightly creeped out by the fact that he's everywhere. So he gives her money to get a taxi home because there are taxis. Obviously, by this point, you'd be like, hang on, there are taxis. So maybe there's something wrong with this guy. No, doesn't even flinch. No idea. So she goes home. And then we see Aaron dining in this dingy, Dingy pub. And who shows up? Obviously, Federico. So they drink lemon and Aaron is like lit, probably even drugged, and he's pouring his heart out to this complete stranger about his cheating girlfriend. And then Federico invites these two girls over, and Aaron, like, cannot even keep his eyes open, but he definitely hears Federico say that he has the key to their house and Emrada is home alone. Next minute, Federico is at their house and he is patting M right up from behind while she sleeps and all I can think about is why is she wearing clothes when she sleeps she thinks it's Aaron and she's like kissing his hand and <laughs> then he pulls it away like pulls his hand away and licks it so if you weren't convinced by this point he's a complete weirdo you better be now Next morning, Aaron wakes up in some random bed and has these flashbacks of leaving the bar with two girls, but he can't find his phone. He goes home and, understandably, Emrata is so mad. For mine, not mad enough. Like, if I was in Tuscany with my boyfriend staying in the middle of nowhere and he didn't come home all night, I would have called the police, to be honest. like I feel like that's the logical thing to do in this situation, but it's a movie where Emrata's lead character, nothing in this movie is going to be logical, so I'm just going to have to deal with that one. Oh, okay, now someone's in the shower. It's Aaron, not Emrata. What? He's flashing back to Federico saying he has the key to their house. He's getting sus by this point. So then him and Emrata fight. Like, he could have just been like, hey, I was really drunk last night and I swear this guy said he had the keys to the house. But no, he says nothing and he just leaves. Again, like, I really need to stop thinking that there should be any logic in this movie. So, Emrata showers, obviously, and then we see Federico watching her get dressed by the security cameras. Then, because he knows Aaron's on a walk, because of the security cameras, he pays her a visit and brings her some fresh roadkill, which they decide to cook up for dinner. Totally normal. And she is still like not even sus. Meanwhile, Aaron's gone to visit the place where Federico said he lived, which is just down the road, and it is totally abandoned. Oh. No. So he runs back to the house to find that Federico has just told M. Rider all about the girls they met last night, which obviously could have been avoided if Aaron would have just told her himself. But he didn't. Of course he didn't. So they have dinner and Aaron and Federico are like full pass ag at each other. And Emrida's sitting there totally oblivious. Even when Federico starts using this metaphor about hunting rabbits, he's like, you get them to trust you, you make them feel safe, and then you pull the trigger. Come on, M. Rider, you are the rabbit but Aaron is real clued into this because he's not a dummy and he's like, get out of my house. So Federico the creep gets back to the cameras real quick because I think the like camera den is actually in the house somewhere. And then Em by this point is like, "Mm, actually, he's a little bit creepy. No shit. And then Aaron explains about the girls from last night. So they kiss and they make up and then they get some more wine. And she's like, meet me in the bedroom in 10. Yeah, I thought it had been a really long time without boobs. So he goes and gets more wine from the cellar and uh uh-oh, the door opens locks and he's stuck in there. Meanwhile, Emrata goes up to the bedroom and there's some sexy lingerie and a blindfold on the bed with a note that says, put it on and wait for me. I mean, it's handwritten. Do you not know Aaron's handwriting? Obviously not, because it's obviously not from Aaron. And then Emrata gets into the lingerie and lots of underwear shots from the left, from the right, top, bottom, blah, blah, blah. Downstairs, Aaron sees a light behind the bottles and he finds a secret hallway. So he's trying to get out of the cellar a different way. Federico walks into the bedroom and pretends he's Aaron because she's blindfolded and he like throws her down on her back and he's like about to go down on her and she has no idea that it's not Aaron like all of your senses are heightened because you've got a blindfold on and you don't I, I really like of course of course she doesn't know this girl is so illogical anyway then he sucks her toes is that not a dead giveaway? Only creeps suck toes, right? Anyway, then there's like lots more close-up shots of him right in underwear. Honestly, if you want to play a drinking game, I strongly suggest that you drink every time that one of them is nude. So Aaron is really loud downstairs trying to get out of the cellar, and Federico leaves to go and investigate, but not before he leaves Aaron's phone on the bed, because he obviously stole it, with a video of him from the night before. He is clearly passed out, like not even alcohol drunk. He is drugged. And these two girls are all over him. He's not doing anything, but that's not what Emrata sees. She is mad. This girl is driving me crazy. So Aaron's in the lounge room now, and Federico has put the video of him and Emrata upstairs on. And then Emrata comes downstairs, and they confront each other about their subsequent cheating, I guess you would call it. And they get really physical, which I guess is just like meant to be part of the porno. Anyway, they break a mirror and then they realize there's a camera behind it and they realize, oh my God, Federico is watching us. And then he's right there in the room with them. And Aaron's like, please let us go. And Federico pulls out a knife and then they fight and struggle. And they're both trying to reach for the knife. Meanwhile, Enrata's just standing there and could have picked up the knife the whole time, but she doesn't. But then she redeems herself and she hits Federico with a poker stick once then again and again and again and again, like, I think she's taking the frustration of her relationship out on Federico. Like, she hacks him right up. Then there's a knock on the door. Oh, my God, who could that be? It's Eduardo, the owner of the villa. Aaron left him a message before telling him about this Frederico creep who's been, like, coming over to their house. And Eduardo's like, okay, I'll check the house and go straight to the video den where, obviously, Federico's been sleeping. This guy, Eduardo, is in on it, whatever it is, I'm not really sure. He then sees the footage of him killing Federico and he goes downstairs to confront her with his Gun. He's like threatening her, and then he turns around when Aaron comes down the stairs, and then Emrata stabs him. Then Aaron hits him with a poker, and just to be sure, they shoot him in the face. Then later, Aaron finds the video den, which like I don't know why did they find it only now and not before. And there's a whole stack of videos with other couples' names on them, and he doesn't watch them. Like what happened with the other couples? What is this? What's the point of all of this? They bury the bodies, and then guess what happens? Emrata showers. Aaron gets in with her and then they bang. Yeah. And he finishes like they cry a lot, but still bang. This relationship is so toxic. Like if this is what it takes for them to have a healthy relationship, I just feel like they shouldn't be together. But now they have to be because they share this secret that they can never tell anyone. I'm just super confused. Then we see one final camera and it's the eye of this creepy gnome. Oh, my God, gnomes are so creepy. And then we see that the camera is actually live streaming to a website, and it's fixed on the area where they buried the bodies. So this live stream is being seen all over the world. I guess, like, it's a Big Brother game where you watch couples in holiday houses, and maybe Frederico was meant to just create drama, but it's really not clear, and nobody calls the police. Like, this storyline is very similar to a porn storyline. It makes no sense. And that's the end. So I, I'm not sure what I just watched, but I'm pretty sure the casting was a massive hint. I wasn't really meant to worry too much about the plot line. It was more of a piece on the appreciation of the human form. So I give this film three out of 10. One point for the hotness of each character and zero points for everything else. This week's life changer is something that I literally only found out about this week, so I'm still pretty excited by it. Fortnite is short for 14 nights. Thanks for listening to Large Almond Latte. If you loved the podcast, you can subscribe on Apple and give us five stars if you're feeling super generous or follow us on Spotify. You can join the low involvement discussion by following us on Instagram at Large Almond Latte Podcast or join the Facebook group at Large Almond Latte Podcast.